no one person is more important than the strategy itself. So it was the right strategic move to change healthcare. Yeah. And that's what I had worked my whole life to do. And if I needed to take a seat on the sideline, I would be fine doing that. Now, what I learned for the third time in my life is that I don't retire well. And so I ended up going off to work with Bridgewater. I'm in now Oscar. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everyone, Jason Patria here. Welcome to week two of 2024 and season number five of the Lead With Your Brand podcast. Now, are you ready for the Lead With Your Brand New Year challenge? We know that 2024 is your year to own your career, turn up the volume, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. As we kick off this new year, it is the perfect time for you to use the five Five steps of the Lead With Your Brand system so that you can build your winning personal and professional brand. Now, here is how you can take action. First off, make sure that you've subscribed to the Lead With Your Brand podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Then each week here in January, make sure to listen and tune into the show so that you can learn about one of the five steps to lead with your brand. After you listen to the show, visit us at jasonpatria.com slash new year so that you can grab your free downloadable worksheet so you can take what you've heard and put it into action and build your brand. By the end of the month, you'll have a draft of your very own brand book that is going to help guide you on how you will show up throughout 2024. In addition, you'll continue to hear from amazing executives, leaders, and changemakers from the worlds of tech, media, entertainment, and more as they share their best career advice and personal branding insights. You can even catch our 2023 Year in Review show to get inspiration and your juices flowing. Now, today, I have the continuation of my interview with Mark Bertolini, the CEO of Oscar Health, who formerly served as the CEO of CVS Health and Aetna. Now, you can always catch the first part of our conversation wherever you get your podcasts. But before we get to Mark, let's talk all about your brand and the Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge. Now, you know I don't want you to be a boring old commodity like coffee, in your career, you must be a super premium brand like Starbucks. 
So we are going over the five steps to lead with your brand. Last week, we talked about step one, which was all about super serving your super fans by defining your career audience. Because if you are trying to be something to everyone, guess what? You are really being nothing to no one. Now, if you missed our talk on that, check us out at jasonpatria.com slash new year, where you can get all of the info and download last week's worksheet. This week, we're talking about step number two, which is be uniquely you by knowing what you stand for today. That's right. I want you to stand out from the crowd by being uniquely you and knowing what it is that you already stand for. Now, I will tell you, I have folks coming to me for executive brand coaching all of the time, and you will never guess what I hear people say. They will say to me, Jason, I want to work with you because I want to be like Oprah. I want to be like Sheryl Sandberg. I want to be like fill in the blank of any celebrity executive that's out there in your space. And you know what I say to them? Guess what? You ain't Oprah and you're never gonna be her. That's right. You don't want to be somebody else. You don't want to copy the style and the brand of the executive at your company or even someone that you admire at work or throughout your career because what you want to be is you and you want to be the best you that you can be. This is where we talk about being your best authentic self and finding what is uniquely you. Now, listen to me. The great world out there is filled with brands that have failed because they were not authentically themselves and were trying to be somebody else. When we think of huge branding out in the consumer space, the biggest failure that's noted is always when JCPenney thought that they needed to try and be super cool and they changed their stores and they got rid of coupons and they even hired Ellen to do a whole comical ad campaign only to find out that everybody knew they weren't cool. And those folks that love shopping at Target, guess what? They didn't think JCPenney was cool enough for them to shop there. And you know what they did? They pissed off all of their loyal JCPenneyers that loved clipping coupons. And it's considered one of the biggest brand failures ever. Now, let's talk about something in the media space. You probably grew up watching Lifetime television for women in the Lifetime movie channel and all of those great things. And we were always clear what Lifetime stood for, right? It's like those tearjerker movies or perhaps watching Golden Girls on repeat all day long, right? Well, Lifetime looked at the huge success that Bravo was having, and they said, you know what? We want to be cool, and we're going to be hip and edgy and pop cultural just like Bravo, and we're we're going to copy them and try and be that. And guess what happened? They dumped all of the stuff that we loved them for. They got rid of all of those Tory Spelling movies of the week. In fact, they also gave up their exclusive syndication rights to the Golden Girls, and they tried to copy Bravo with a bunch of reality shows. And remember last week, we talked about Bravo having a super serve audience avatar of those wills and graces. Well, they took a copy of Bravo's brand book and decided they would buy the syndication 
Reservation rights to Will and Grace because they felt that that would attract the audience that was watching Bravo. Well, guess what? No one who was watching Bravo thought that Lifetime was a place for them to go. And all they did was piss off all of their loyal fans that couldn't find those amazing TV movies that was the murder and cheat and adultery of the week that Lifetime was known for. So you've got to make sure that you are not trying to be someone else. You are being uniquely you. Now, I get it. This is hard work because when you think of your friends, when you think of your favorite colleagues, of course, it's easy for you to come up with what is uniquely them and how they add all sorts of value. But when we turn that mirror on ourselves, it's a little bit difficult. So let's get a little bit creative. So I want you to think for yourself, if you were a type of car What type of car would you be and why? Now, it can be any car. It could be a make. It could be a model. It could even be a type of car. Now, I will tell you, I consider myself a Jeep Wrangler because I'm obsessed with Jeep Wranglers. In fact, I've only driven Jeep Wranglers for the past 25 years because I love Jeep Wranglers. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Jason, you don't seem that rugged or that butch or that outdoorsy or that four by four. And guess what? I'm not that type of Jeep. Instead, I'm that type of Jeep Wrangler that Alicia Silverstone drove around Beverly Hills in Clueless and went out with her crazy friend Dion wearing wild outfits, being fun and flashy and having a good old time. That is the type of Jeep Wrangler that I am because I think of myself as being fast and I think of myself as being fun and a little bit flashy and a little bit showy. And so when I say that, all of a sudden I can start coming up with a whole set of words that describe me. I'm fun. I'm fast. I'm a little bit showy. And I can start thinking of myself with that analogy to being a car. Now, I will tell you, I have asked that question of audiences around the world. And I was in a huge convention center with 3,000 people. I asked that and I went out to a woman in the audience. She was waving her hand. I handed her the mic and she said, Jason, I am a beat up old station wagon. And guess what? 3,000 people laughed at this woman. She grabbed the mic back from me and she said, everybody stop. Everybody stop. I am a beat up old station wagon and I am proud of it because you know what? I'm not a new kid on the block like some of you that I see here. In fact, I've been around the block a few times and I'm proud of the dings and the dents in my fenders and my doors. But you know what? I have the wise old experience and I've got five gigantic doors that I can open up and I can pile everyone inside and I can get you from New York City to San Francisco safely and reliably because that's the type of car that I am. And the entire crowd was silent. And suddenly, everyone stood up and gave this woman a standing ovation because in 60 seconds, she was able to take the analogy of a car and define exactly what her unique value proposition 
is. So what I want you to do is think about what are those words that people describe you as now? Now, if you visit jasonpatria.com slash new year, you can download our worksheet that will help you think through this. And I'm going to challenge you. I want you to go out to 10 friends, 10 colleagues, 10 contacts. And all I want you to do is ask them for three words to describe you. In fact, specifically ask them the question, thinking of me when I'm at my best Give me three words or adjectives that you would use to describe me. Now, this can be super simple. You can email it to folks. You can text them or even pick up the phone, call them, or go over and ask them in uh, in their cubicle. Because once you have some of that data, you can go ahead and start finding those theme words that are uniquely and authentically you today. Now, what we're going to call these are your tailwinds. These are going to be the start of your brand attribute tailwinds that when you are known for these words, they help you get faster, further, more efficiently to your destination in the end. Well, I am super excited to have the continuation of my interview with the amazing Mark Bertolini, the CEO of Oscar Health. Now, Oscar Health is the first health insurance company built around a full-stack technology platform and a relentless focus on serving its members. Now, prior to joining Oscar, Mark served as the co-chief executive officer of Bridgewater and was the former chairman and CEO of Aetna and CVS Health. He's got an amazing bio, so check out the show notes to get the full information. And we'll be back in just a few minutes with Mark Bertolini. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back with the continuation of my conversation with Oscar Health CEO, Mark Bertolini. Mark, last week we talked all about your career journey and the key career breakthroughs that got you to the office of CEO. This week, let's talk all about your professional brand. Now, I know so much about our brand is our story and those experiences that have impacted us throughout our lives. So tell me, Mark, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I just wanted to um, I just wanted to have a steady job, a place in northern Michigan where I could spend weekends fishing or skiing or hunting. Um, and have a few uh, um, ATV, snowmobile, dirt bikes, and you know, and and just be home and be with my family. Yeah, and none of that happened. <laughs> well, you still get. It sounds like you still get a little bit of outdoor extreme sports stuff going. We, I do, I do, and I enjoy it. And I, you know, I'm still riding my um, uh, my motorcycles and road bikes and spending you know time hiking. So yeah. I'd, I still do it, but um, um, but not as often as I would like to. And so it's a um, it's a uh, 
And I keep hoping that maybe one day retirement will stick. I've tried it four times. It hasn't worked. And um, <laughs> in that way, I could actually enjoy something other than doing work. So. Exactly. Now, now, so much of who we become is kind of based on things that happen in our childhood. So talk to me a little bit about growing up in in Detroit. What are some of those things that kind of shaped who you are today? Well, I was, there were six kids. I am the oldest. We were born in seven years, the whole crew. So wow. six of us in seven years. Wow. Um, yep. My brother, John is 11 months younger than me. And my brother, Peter's 10 months younger than my brother, John. So first three of us were Irish triplets. Uh, mom was Irish English and dad was Italian. Um, we had a thousand square foot house with one bathroom. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so you can imagine with six teenagers in the house at one point. So it was always competition for resources, um, and how to make do with what you had. Um, and and, um, and, and, you know, to make things go further than you thought they could, um, because you couldn't afford it. Um, you know, I went to work with my dad at the age of 13, um, cause he thought it was important for me to be working. And, um, and I think there's one story in the book where I tell him about a guy who was, I was, a, I was like the guy who cleaned up the floors in the, uh, in the shop and cleaned the bathrooms and painted the walls and did all sorts of stuff in the beginning. And there was another guy who was, I was. 14 at that time. And there was a guy that was 24 and he was doing the same thing, but I was working circles around him and we were sitting out back having a cigarette. And, um, he told me that he was making $4 and 25 cents an hour and I was making a dollar 25 an hour. Mm. So I go see my dad and I go to my dad and I say, Hey dad, uh, Jerry's making $4 and 25 cents an hour. He goes, yeah. I go, I'm making a dollar 25. I'm working circles around the guy. He goes, yeah. He goes, what's the point? He goes, well, I want to raise. He said, if I don't give you one, what will happen? He goes, I'll quit. He goes, really? Do you have another job? I said, no. He goes, good. You're fired. Go home. <laughs> he sends me home. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. We always, you know, all of us used to sit at this big trussle table. Yeah. And after dinner, we'd have current events, according to my father, of course. And um, and we were sitting there talking. And, and, he, and he said to me, um, you stay here after everybody left the table. And I go, okay. He goes, let me tell you about Jerry. Jerry's not going to go very far. Um, he's not, not fully capable and, and Jerry has a, a, a wife and a kid and he's got a home and I'm helping him pay his bills and take care of his family. You don't have any of those things. You're 13, you're 14 years old and you're a smart kid and this is giving you some spending money and us some spending money. So, you know, um, I think, you know, I think you need to think differently about it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I go, yeah. He goes, good. You want your job back? I said, sure. He goes, great. You can start tomorrow at a dollar an hour. Ah. He cut my pay. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, don't count anyone else's money. If you're happy with what you're doing, then you should be happy with what you're paid. Mm. And if you're not, then go find something else, but never quit a job. But don't count somebody else's money. You don't know the circumstances under which they need it. Yeah. It was a real important lesson from, from him. Um, yeah. So you know, there was a lot of competition for resources. We worked. We fought every day in the streets. <laughs> um, you know, we, you know, one of the things I talk to people about is that there are no participation trophies in business. Yeah. Um, we actually have to perform, right? And um, so I give them the example. I used to be able to walk down my street two blocks and two blocks we'd pick up 20 22 kids that could play ball 
and we go to a sandlot. We used to have the baseballs that were you know, covered with black electrical tape because the cover had come off a long time ago. You know, again, making things go as far as we can. And we get down to the field and we'd line up on the third baseline and we'd pick two captains and the captains would go down the line and pick the team. Well, you only need 18 mm. for two full teams. So if you weren't picked, you were a loser. You weren't good enough. Yeah. You sat on the bench and watched everybody else play. And the only way that changed is that you practiced. And the next time you went out and you got an opportunity to play, you showed them that you were better than they thought you were. And that's what mattered. And so I would practice with, I had a little cockapoo dog. It was hilarious. She used to shag flies for me. But I'd be <laughs> practicing with the, you know, hitting the balls and, 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 you know, playing. I love playing third base and I practiced with my brothers. So I finally got good because I sat on the sideline one summer and I hated yeah. it. But there was nobody there handing me a participation trophy making me feel better. Yeah. And so, Mark, talk to me, because obviously as a CEO and running big organizations, we're we're always thinking about generations, right? We have more generations working in the workplace. So how do you mesh sort of that belief of there's no participation trophies with maybe a couple of generations that have been sort of raised in that way? Mm -hmm. I just give them the harsh realities. <laughs> Welcome to business. I mean... Yeah, the, the bottom line is, is that effort is greatly appreciated. That's what we want, the best effort. But results are rewarded. Mm. So thank you for working so hard. But if the results aren't there, we don't get paid. Yeah. And, and so that's the way the game works. And um, if you're looking for, you know, something that's a little different and assured, then it ain't here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's okay. I mean, I want people to like where they work and I want, people to be happy where they work. And if they can't be, then they should go and find something that makes them happy. Yeah. And it's interesting to me as I was, you know, doing some some reading on you, you know, w one person actually wrote that when you were leading uh, Aetna, right, and then you, you helped manage the sale to CVS, you were actually doing something that was great for the organization and for the outcomes, but actually you were working yourself out of a job. So t yep. talk, t talk to me about, like, what was the thought process that went into that that was something that maybe in the end wasn't a huge an immediate benefit to you well you know um i held three million shares of the company's stock by the time that transaction <laughs> happened so um, i got paid very well um i never sold any of my stock i held it from the time i started there yeah um and i even bought some along the way so um um but no one person is more important than the strategy itself so it was the right strategic move to change healthcare. Yeah. And that's what I had worked my whole life to do. And if I needed to take a seat on the sideline, I would be fine doing that. Now, what I learned for the third time in my life is that I don't retire well. And so I ended up going off to work with Bridgewater um, and now Oscar. So, but it was, you know, it was one of those moments where it was time for me to, um, to, 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 to live the way I had always spoken. So it was, you know, there, there are only there are three rules that govern succeeding CEOs in um, acquisitions. Um, he or she who has the gold rules. There can only be one CEO. Yep. And then rule number three is C rule number one. Um, <laughs> so that's it. And and so I couldn't put myself in the place of 
the transaction. It was too important um, to make that happen. Now it hasn't worked out all that well, but um, you know that was that was the intent. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about your brand as a leader. Give me three words that you would use to describe Mark Bertolini. Accessible, approachable, and vulnerable. Ooh. So talk talk to me about why those three. I think that's what people need to see in leaders these days. Mm. They need to have people that they can talk to that don't, don't hide behind security or limousine windows um, or, you know, um, secured floors. Um, that they need somebody who, you know, is going to be authentic, is going to be truthful um, and to themselves. And, you know, I've always, I mean, when I, after I took over as CEO, I wore suits when I went to Washington and I wore jeans and t-shirts and rode my motorcycle into the office. Yeah. Um, when I was working in the office, because that's who I am, right. Yeah. I'm one of these. And so I wanted to be authentic and I wanted people to be, feel they could come up and talk to me. Um, and so I used to do that all the time with folks when I went out to visit and we had offices all around the world, I would go to the office in the morning. I would sit, um, and, um, do a town hall meeting. I would have lunch with the frontline managers because that's the hardest job in the whole organization. And because you used to be a doer and now you're a manager and, you know, it's hard to make that leap. Yeah. And then I would do a walk to every cubicle in every floor and shake every employee's hands wow. and say, thank you. And I was tired. The board was asking me about this process and how exhausting it must be. And, you know, we had offices with 2000 people in them. Yeah. And I'd say, yeah, it was, it was, it kept me busy, um, but it was great. It was fun. I you know, enjoyed meeting everybody. And I was listening to see if the message I gave my team to send through the organization actually ah. happened the way they heard it. Yeah. And often it wasn't. <laughs> um, and, and I was telling my board that, you know, anybody who could get away with not undercover boss on TV um, probably should be fired for the, for the, by their board because people would know immediately if they met me because I met everybody. Yeah. And I did it at least once a year. And one of my board members had been on Undercover Boss, and it was kind of a little embarrassing. But, um, <laughs> I told him, your your disguise was great. It yeah, was great. Exactly. Exactly. Now, talk to me about vulnerable, right? Because certainly walking the floor is all about being accessible and approachable. But how do you show up as uh, an executive or a CEO as vulnerable? Every time we would have a difficult moment, and we had them in the company, every company does. I would get up on stage and I would talk to everybody around the around the world, and mm. I would say, "This one's on me. I own this." When the Humana acquisition was blocked, I owned it. Um, it was a risk I thought was worth taking, and you need to know that I don't feel good about it. Um, mm. And I actually didn't get a you know I I, I you know we got a, a bad bonus that year. Um, I took the hit as well with everybody, um, even though I worked my butt off because we didn't get the deal done. Yeah. And, you know, we had made that commitment and we had spent a lot of money chasing it. And so um, that one or um, when I was president, we had a couple of layoffs. I used to stand up in front of the and I stopped that when I got the job. Um, I said, we're not going to do layoffs anymore. Um, um, you know, if we need to save money, I'll take it out of the executive comp pool. Um, mm. And if you can find it throughout the year, we'll put it back in. But if you don't, you're going to get paid less. Yeah. Um, but layoffs are a. Um, Sign of poor leadership. Mm. And I used to say that in front of the room. I have not done well to cause this to happen 
and it's a sign of poor leadership and you should hold me accountable. Wow. And so being vulnerable. And then when people would ask me about my injury or my pain, because I had a lot of chronic pain for a long time, um, for 18 years, I've now gotten rid of that. Um, but when I, you know, when I, when I used to have chronic pain, I, people used to say, you seem detached at times. Well, let me tell you, I've got this chronic pain and I'm working on not screaming, quite frankly. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and so, um, you know, you should know that it's not about you and, you know, you should, you should understand what's going on with me so that you're not reading me in a wrong way. So that's vulnerability, being willing to talk about those things. Um, um, you know, somebody once asked me, I hear you're going through a divorce. I said, that's horrible. Um, and, you know, we all feel bad when, when we go through something like that. And, and, you know, I'm devastated by it. We were married. Our divorce was final a week or two before our 30th wedding anniversary. Mm. Um, and it was just a terrible thing. And, and, you know, you, and, and so you want people, I used to say to people, I was born and raised in Detroit. You can't intimidate or insult me. Any questions <laughs> are good. One. And when you open up that vulnerability, it works. Yeah. Cause believe people believe you're human. Absolutely. Now, Mark, have you always been sort of this accessible, approachable, vulnerable guy, or has that evolved no. for you over time? That evolved with me over time. Yeah, I, I mean, when I first got out of graduate school, I thought, well, I got all the answers, taught my class. I mean, you know, I'll just, I'll just go in and tell everybody how to do things. And, and what I used to do is I, I still do. I get materials for the day before a meeting and I review them. So I go into work the next day prepared to have a conversation versus touching up on material I should have read. And I'm sitting in the meeting and I sit in the meeting. I used to say, I wonder how long it's going to take for these people who aren't as smart as I am to come to the answer. I know the right answer is. Mm. And I used to sit there and get frustrated. So then I said, you know what? I'm going to actively engage and I'm going to ask them questions that are going to lead them to the right answer. Yeah. And, and I used to ask these questions. I was still getting frustrated. And so I had this boss who one time looked at me and he said, Mark, you're a really smart guy. Um, you don't have all the right answers, even though you think you do. And this little game you play with the questions is just not going to work. But what I would suggest you do is listen to the answers to those questions and formulate two more questions as a result. And I bet you, you learn something. Wow. And so what I found out after doing that for about a year was that, and today I know I'm only right about 35, 40% of the time, mm. the rest of the time I'm wrong. And that if I engage properly with the team, I'm going to learn enough to know what the right answer is. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a team effort and we're all going to own it. And the organization is going to be mobilized to pursue it because I didn't tell them what to do. And it just makes it so much easier when, you know, you have a model where people think their contribution matters. It's part of the solution. We're going to work on this together. We're going to make sure we win, um, kind of thing. We're going to do everything we can to win is, is, you know, is a different approach. And so I have found leadership a lot easier since I came to that about a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what is the magic to really listening to people and turning off that, you know, everything voice in your head? So all of the noise that we have in our head um, is the result. I, I have a Hindu practice, so it's the result of attachments. Mm. And so what I do is I meditate every day and I do, I do yoga and I meditate and I do Vedic chanting and I burn my incense and all that stuff. But, <laughs> um, but 
when I do that, when I'm in meditation, meditation is not letting darkness envelop you and then teach you something that you didn't know. Mm. That's not it. Meditation is acknowledging that the noise in your head, which keeps you from meditating the thinky way you ought to meditate, are actually attachments. And that when you recognize those as attachments, give them respect, and then push them away, that over time, they'll keep coming back, but over time, they'll start to go away and maybe Mm. disappear. And when you lose those attachments, it's then that you can be present in the room and you can take everything that's being done, said, the way people are behaving, and you can be a better leader Mm. by being present in the moment. Yeah. Um, and so when I was talking about this at, I was, I was doing this and I'm, and, uh, and I'm, I was still president of the company. This is 2007, 2008. And, um, and, uh, I came into the meeting one day with my staff and I said, we're going to get everybody in the organization to do yoga and meditation together. <laughs> and they're all going, Oh, what a great idea, boss. Except for the medical director who followed me into my office and said, Mark, this is voodoo medicine. You know it. And so I said, well, what would it take for you to buy in? His name's Lonnie Reisman, great doctor, yeah. great innovator. And Lonnie, and Lonnie said to me, um, well, we got to do a double-blind study. So we did a double-blind study. And we made, measured heart rate variability, cortisol levels, pre and post. And we found that the highest quintile of stress in the company um, were people that were spending $2,500 a year on healthcare more than the average employee. Mm. And when we, after the study, we saw we had a reduction of 50% wow. um, in those, in the, in the cortisol levels and in the costs. And, and we had our healthcare costs go down the following year by 7%. And it was this just moment of aha. And had I gone in and I've been talking about these concepts for a couple of years, but I never called them yoga. Yeah. But had I gone in and started with yoga, we're going to do yoga. Everybody would have thrown me out of the building as a wacko. Exactly. Um, right. But now everybody talks about yoga and meditation. So, um, you know, who knows? Times change. You're just a, you're ahead of the curve, Mark. Ahead of the curve. Yep. Well, experience matters. Exactly. Now, I know not everyone can be everyone's cup of tea. So talk to me about when your style or your brand hasn't meshed up with other people. How do you sort of manage that? You know, your style and the way you behave is not going to change all that dramatically. And if yeah. you find yourself trying to change your personality or change your style to fit into a situation, it's just not going to work. Mm. You're going to be uncomfortable all the time. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, it's time to either, you know, if like when I when I took over as CEO and chairman of the company, I could you know, not wear my ties to work every day and not shave every day. and come into work in my jeans or ride my motorcycle. Um, and so, you know, that um, I could change it. And, and I brought my dog to work. Yeah. And, you know, and so, and so, you know, then I'd bring my dog to work at, at Oscar as well. And my German shepherd. And, and, you know, when you can do those changes, you can change them yourself. Then you take a risk because there's a large part of the organization, particularly a big company like Aetna with 50,000 employees where, you know, some people might be upset about it. I mean, there were some, but, you know, I'm, I'm on the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. I'm a straight ally. and Yes, and that's how we met. Thank you. It's, yep. And I would fly the gay pride flag over the building every, you know, October. 
and 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 people would send me hate letters. You know, you're ah. you're you know you're, and I used to say, you know what, you're allowed to express your point of view. You're not allowed to be um uh, un, you know to be disrespectful. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Mm. Um, and and um, I'll never forget the night of the Pulse nightclub shooting. Yes, two of my employees were in that in that were killed in that in that building. Wow! And I was just devastated. And before sunlight even came up, I had the gay pride and the American flag flying half staff out over the building. Everybody in the community noticed it. And I had been talking with the new pastor across the road. Um, the new uh, Archbishop, the Crossroad Archbishop Blair, Leonard Blair, great guy, had been in Toledo and Detroit during the problems they had there with the priesthood. And I had told him I left the church over the whole thing of, you know, what was going on between priests and young men and all the bad news that happened there. And 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 he, um, you know, was very upset about it because he knows, you know, I was a very committed, I had actually spent some time in a seminary. and and. The day of the, the morning after the Pulse nightclub, he had the church doors open for the first time I'd ever seen them open across the street and did a mass for our employees. Mm. Wow. And so um, that meant something to everybody in the company because, you know, we were suffering mightily. And and so but I was able to do those things because I was in charge. Yeah. Right. That wouldn't have happened if somebody else was in charge that didn't like those things. Um, and so if you don't have the opportunity to change them, then you need to find a place where you're more, where you're happier. Yeah. It's all about finding joy and where you work and what you do now, Mark, I know we just have like a a quick minute left here. So here's a, a couple of quick fire questions. We've been talking about your brand as an executive. What brand are you obsessed with as a consumer? What can't you live without? What can I live without? Well, I so I like like bespoke linens and and um, colognes and things like that. So I'm always looking for somebody. You know, like Aesop. You've ever heard of Aesop? Yeah, in New York City? I love them. love that brand. Right? Isn't that great? Yeah, I'm like nuts over that soap and stuff. So it's you know, I look for distinct things that have been built with the customer in mind for people who have discerning tastes, and it's not all that expensive either. Yeah. And so it's a great shop. Um, I love wandering around. I wash my hands like a thousand times while I'm in there. <laughs> no, Mark, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Oof. Um, 1957 Bentley S type. Ooh. And why? Um, because it's a beautiful car. Mm. Um, um, there's also, I mean, I like some of the old classics, like the town and country barrel back Woody. Um, station wagon it's beautiful it's a beautiful car um i mean those were the days where everything was you know my my grandfather was the head of clay model design at general motors so wow you know he was he was into all that sort of stuff and we always used to spend time with him looking at you know the the coolest the newest cars back in the 50s and 60s so um i you know i like um i like i like those kind of cars i have um i have a jeep um now a jeep uh, X5 and and I do have a Bentley Continental ah. um and I, 2006 which is nice those are my cars. Um and and Mark to close us out what's the best career advice that you'd pass on to our listeners? I think it goes back to the conversation we had earlier network extensively 
don't be afraid. The courage part. This is where you build your courage. Yep. Yeah, you'll get no's, but a lot more yeses than, than no's. And then the second thing is, is know yourself. What is it that you do that you love to do so that you can be successful every day? Mm. Well, Mark, thank you for sharing all of your wisdom for knowing yourself and finding great success and helping us be more successful as leaders. Thank you, Jay Zen. It's been a lot of fun. Nice seeing you again. Great seeing you. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. What an amazing conversation with Oscar Health CEO, Mark Bertolini. You know, he had so much amazing stuff to say, and it's just so wow to hear from someone who has truly been a pioneer and shook up an entire industry. But you know what really stood out to me? It really hit me when Mark talked about how vulnerability can really be a strength. And you know, this week, our Lead With Your Brand step is all about being uniquely you by knowing what you stand for today. And I love that Mark talked about vulnerability as something that he doesn't shy away from because it's truly who he is. In fact, he's used that to become a tailwind that helps drive him forward. So as you think about defining and refining your brand, I want you to take stock of what makes you uniquely you. It's not about trying to change things or be someone else. It's about taking those things that are uniquely you. And in next week's breakdown, we will talk about step number three, which is supersizing those brand attributes by refining who you want to be. Plus, we've got an amazing guest next week. It is Mauricio Simbeck, who is the co-founder and CEO of Milagros de Mexico, a retail chain that provides health and wellness products to the Latino and Latinx community. Now, if you love what you've heard, make sure that you are following us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and check out the Lead With Your Brand New Year Challenge at jasonpatria.com slash new year. For more tips and tricks on how you can lead with your brand, check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And give me a connect on LinkedIn because I'd love to continue the conversation. But most of all, and most importantly of all, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure that you are showing your value and standing out from the crowd by being a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.